want you to ask yourself a question this morning. Do you love one another like Christ loved you? If you're saved this morning, and I pray that everyone is, and if you're not, there's no better time to be that way. But if you're saved this morning, do you love one another as Christ loves you? I mean, think about it. I mean, this is a time when everything else should stop. There's nothing happening in the world. We ain't thinking about going deer hunting after church. Or we're not thinking about working. We're not thinking about going to eat. We're thinking about God right now and thinking about, do you love one another as Christ loved you? Do you even begin to understand that? So it, it, we're going to read a little bit more, but I want you to think, and I want you to think real hard about that. How did Christ love us? How did Christ love me? He gave his life. He gave it. He didn't have to. I mean, he had everything in his hand that he didn't have to give his life. But he chose to give his life. And he lived and experienced and dealt with all the sin that each one of us. I want you to think about it. So how many people we got in here? Sixty? So, seventy, maybe? Think about all the sin each one of us might have. There's things in my life that I deal with that you may not deal with. But guess what? Jesus has done that in an instant. That's what he did for me. That's what he did for each one of us. That's the beginning of that love. And you say, well, I can't do that because that's what Christ did. And I'm not, I, I'm not Christ. You're right. You're not Christ, but you are Christ-like. You are an ambassador of Christ. He says that we can do things, and we can do things greater than he. But we can't do none of that until we understand the basis of that love. So verse 12, it says, uh, To love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no, <clears throat> no one than this. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Then Jesus goes on further and says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So no greater love is there than one that you can lay down your life. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to oversimplify that. And we're going to say, well, you know, I'm not going to go give my life. I'm not going to go, you know, do this. Well, it's not just talking about physically. It's talking about this morning. Did you lay your life down? Think about where you came from. You've already laid part of it down. Now, initially, you did it to give God control, to give, to give Christ that center in your life. You laid something down. You threw it down. You said, I don't want it. I don't want to do it no more. I can't handle it. Now, I want you to do it. So, think about everything that we should have been doing from that day forward. Think about all the things that we have done from that day forward. You are laying your life down. Naturally, we're born into a world of sin. You can't escape it. The Bible says you're only a few days, right from the time you're born. So we fight that battle. So now we give it to Jesus and let him fight it. So we've already gave that life, right? But we need to continue to give it. We need to continue to entrust it in God. We need to continue to, 
to entrust it. That is our purpose. That's what God has called us to do is to give our lives. So whatever naturally pops in your head before you were saved now should be replaced with what God's put there. What does that look like? Now, we don't have time this morning, but what does that look like? That looks like you doing something other than serving yourself. You doing something other than what you want to do. Guess what? At some point in time, you will do it so much that it will become second nature. That's how we become Christ-like. So what about the military? So why do they train and do all the things that they do from the time you get in in basic training before you actually have to go off? They don't want you thinking. They want it coming from here. It's repetition. You just keep doing it over and over and over. So when the heat of the battle hits, you don't have to think about it. You react the way you're supposed to react. So if we meditate and understand where our love comes from and what happened for us to receive what we receive, if we do that day in and day out, guess what? We will get to the point that when the world comes crashing down on us, we can stand strong. We can go forward. We can help one another. We can encourage one another by love and by strength. The only way we can be strong is through love. That's where it all started. Pastor. Amen. Love each other as Christ did, right? That's what we're called to do. Amen. The only announcement, I don't know that Pat mentioned about the uh, chocolate-covered strawberries. So we still got that going on. So if you would like to purchase some, a half dozen is $10, a dozen is $20. Um, need the orders complete by Wednesday, February 8th. And then they'll be available to pick up that following Saturday um, here at the church. Correct, Jenny? No? The 13th. Well, I was way off. Um, the day before Valentine's. They'll be available to pick up that day. So, the 13th. Um, and then saw the, I saw the announcements that I know of, but thank you all for being here. Y'all look good this morning. Y'all excited? Everybody awake? Do we need to get up and move around or anything? You good? Yeah, give God a hand clap. That's right. Look like a little warm in here. You know, people getting comfortable, a little drowsy-eyed. They want that to happen. I had to start shouting a little Pentecostal time. Get accused of having snakes here at church, which we do not. If you've not been here before, we do not have snakes, I promise. And But if that would get people excited, we might have to throw a couple out. People moving. Blame it on the Holy Ghost. We will never do that. We will let the Holy Ghost move as He wills in our life. You come here every time when we meet and join together. You make a determination in your life to let the Spirit of God move. Let Him work in your life. Um, we started this morning, don't forget, 940 in the back room, intercessory prayer. Um, we started this morning, prayed for this service, prayed for you in this service. Would you mention everybody's name? No, not by person, but by everybody that come in here. Cole, would you fix this? Thank you, sir. A little, a little hot. Hey, there we go. I hear myself reverbing up here. Did y'all hear that? That means that the, uh, that the social media is working. We're on Facebook Live and YouTube Live. So there we go. Um, but don't forget that. Make it a point. Don't just come here. 
because we've got to come to church on Sunday morning or we're hearing somebody preach. That's good that you come here for that, but come prepared to receive. Prepared to receive. I've been reading a devotion this week on worship. And our time of praise and worship, we get into a mode of we're just singing a few songs. Praise and worship's not about us. None of it is about us. People can say, I didn't feel, I didn't, I, I, I just don't feel the Holy Ghost. I don't feel the Holy Spirit. I didn't feel goosebumps this morning. Well, guess what? Boo-hoo, it's not about you, it's about God. That's who we're worshiping and praising, not ourselves. Not how we sound, not how we look, not whether we raise our hands or not. You know, we could, it's, it's easy if you don't watch it. To stand up here and judge people. Well, I guess we're not getting into praise and worship this morning because they're not raising their hands. We don't know that. It's between you and God. Sure, a sign of worship and surrender is raising our hands to Him, correct? But it's not about the show. It's about Him. So remember that. Remember that. So I'm just glad you're here. Glad we have this time together. Glad you came to uh, hear the Word this morning. And I believe it's going to be a good one. Um, but we will receive our offering just now. Amen. Tithes and offerings time. Amen. Yeah. The Bible says in Second Corinthians that um, he who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. And I'm not talking about money. We're, we don't preach on money here, I promise. This is just a scripture. The Word of God says, he says, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful. So don't don't give this morning with the attitude, well, here it is. Hope God blesses me. No, we're faithful. We're faithful to what the Word of God says. We're faithful in our life. I know there's I've I've heard stories recently, and I'll get her to share it one day when she when she feels like it, of how God was faithful in their life. And and um and just financially because they have been faithful in giving for years. And so um God still works, God still moves, prayer still works. And we believe in it, and we pray, we pray for the service, we pray for the finances coming in, for our building fund that we can expand as we need to, and and have room like we like we want to have, and for these children and the young people, and do different things and have the classes that we need. So we're still believing God for that. We're still praying for musicians, musicians. If y'all know anybody, and we're not gonna take, we're not like a rock and roll band. We're not gonna have tryouts, okay? Because to be up here and to play an instrument, sing on stage, it's just as much ministry as me as this pastor role, I promise. Standing up here praying the Word. Because if you're up here and living just whatever kind of lifestyle and doing whatever you want, you're not living true to the ministry and can't be up here at that point. We've got we to gotta have some boundaries in the church. When, I mean, we want the Spirit of God to move, but we don't know hindrances of that either. So, all right. Everybody good? Amen. Well, let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for this day and this time together. The, the, the time we've spent singing back to you and giving back to you this morning. God, it was lovely. It, it, was, it was awesome. And we just thank you, God, that we come and, and, and open up our hearts and minds to receive this morning. Just as we prayed numerous times. God, that you come and, and you work in people's hearts and lives and your word is challenging and true. And, and we go different out of here than what we came in ready to go and do as you've called us to do. To be the men and women of God as you've called us to be in everyday life that we live. And we thank you for it, Father. God, we just ask that you touch and bless during this time of giving, God, that you just, you just manifest yourself real and true in people's lives because of the obedience that they have. And we just thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Well, children, go to children's church. Y'all be good, children. Your teacher was just out here. I don't know what she was saying to me. So it may it may be my grandson. That is a big possibility. Yep. All right. Amen. Y'all ready to receive this morning? Are you? I know I am. I know the title of the message this morning. I already had a preview to it. And it's going to be good. We don't, nobody is allowed up here. And I say allowed. I can control who gets behind the pulpit. I can't control what they say to a point. That's God. But I pray about this before I ask anybody to preach. I do. I don't just let anybody up here because you know why? The Bible says I have to answer for it. I have to answer when I stand before God that I let some false doctrine come in here. I let somebody speak something that wasn't true, and I'm not going to do it because I want everything that comes out of this pulpit, everything that comes out to you sitting here under the power of my voice, whoever's up here preaching, to be the true, unapologetic Word of God. And so if, if you get offended by anything today, then you need to pray about it. If you get convicted of anything today, you need to pray about it. You need to get your life right with God. And, and get to the place where you're not offended. And don't wear your feelings on your sleeves. But let God work and move in your life. That's why we're here. You don't hear it by accident. You may, well, I just come to hear J.J. Well, guess what? You come to hear J.J., you come to hear the Word of God. Not just J.J. preach. Right? So I love this brother. He's been through a lot in his life. And I'm sure he'll tell you more about it if God leads that way. But I'm, I'm so thankful and honored that he's come back and, and doing what God has called him to do in his life. So come on, brother. Good morning, church. Are you down to ride with the Lord this morning? You know, I, that song carries even a, uh, a little special meaning to me when you think about the words of it, you know, because the, the, the path that I walked prior to this, uh, I'm not going to get into that right now, but, you know, when you walk with people and they ask you, are you down to ride with them, and you make that commitment, yeah, I'll ride with you, you're down to ride. And that means you take it to the grave with them. You've committed your to their purpose, whatever they've called you to ride with them about. You take that to your grave with them. If it takes death, hey, I'm riding with you. And if we can make that foolish commitment to that prior life, how much more so than the one who laid it down for you? Amen. The one who truly loves you, the one who truly cares for you, the one who he's already went to the grave for us. And all he asks is for us to live our life accordingly, you know, out of respect for him, out of uh, showing the love back to him that he showed you so that's those words are just you know and then the first word the first song that we've done you know the whole praise and worship you know was just great this morning you know he said trading my sorrows you know that's the greatest day that i've ever experienced in my life it's the day that i decided to trade all the weight the guilt and the shame from the weight of the sin that i had accumulated my whole life i made that trade for the peace love and joy of christ amen and, and nothing on this world can touch that but uh, this morning, let me get my timepiece out here. I have been known to be a little long-winded, so i got to get some kind of checks and balances up here. I, I, this is going to be a, a Smokey and the Bandit message. You know, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Amen. Everybody know who Smokey and the Bandit is? 
Just don't talk like the uh, the cop, the sheriff on there. We don't need no talking like that. <laughs> but uh, the title of the message this morning, it's kind of been tough. I've been struggling with it since the Lord gave it to me. And, you know, as, as you preach and different things, you sometimes the Lord leads you in a direction and a, and a topic that just you just don't like and it don't feel good to you. But like Mark said, it's not about me. I've been called to give the word as the Lord wants. You know, all preachers would love to just give a puppy dog a sunshine message all the time. Everybody go away happy and clapping and, you know, all these things. And I pray that we're still going to do that. I'm not saying that, but it's just tough messages, you know. Uh, it's a little little struggle, but it's hell. We're going to talk about hell. It's a pop, uh, a uh, unpopular topic, you know, and, uh, you know, you get both sides of the spectrum. You get some who say, you know, that's all they preach is hell, fire, and brimstone, you know, and all these different things. And then you get some on the grace side that's all about grace, and you don't even hear about hell. And I think we've got to find that common ground in the middle to where you need to know about hell and you need to experience grace. So we're going to try to accomplish both this morning. But the title would be hell. Is it temporary or eternal? You know, think about that. Uh, what is hell? There are many deferring views and beliefs when it comes to this place of great consequences. You know, the, the world will tell you that hell's not real. The world will tell you that God's not real. I'm here to tell you that it's a lie. A lie straight from the uh, pits of hell, if anybody can, that tells you those things. And, and there's even deferring views inside the church as well to where there's different beliefs on hell as well. You know, they'll, they'll agree that there is a hell, but a lot of them will preach that it's uh, temporary, that it's only until the day of judgment and then those who are lost are annihilated. They call it annihilation or however the word is. It's too fancy for me to say, well, fault with boy. But they'll say that, you know, God just annihilates all the souls that aren't saved. So it's only a temporary hell to the day of judgment and then it's cast away. But the Bible, I can't find that in the Bible. If anybody else can find that in the Bible, you're more than welcome to share it with me because I'm always willing to learn and grow. Amen. But this is because the great deceiver and father of lies would love nothing more than to convince an already sin-riddled people that hell isn't real and that there is no place for eternal punishment, uh, of eternal punishment for the penalty of our sins. So if Satan can get you thinking, oh, don't worry about it. You know, hell ain't eternal. You know, you're just going to go here and then you'll be annihilated. You know, if he can get people believing that, what is the, con what is the result of that? Think of that. If he can convince you that hell's not real, you're going to live however you want because there's no consequences. You don't care. And like I said, you know, we're already a sin-riddled people. Uh, that's just, you can look around at the world today and that. A wicked by nature man is already searching for an escape from the consequences of his sins. You know, we see that day in, day out in our own lives, you know, if we're real with ourselves. You know, I ain't going to claim that I'm perfect because everybody knows me knows I ain't. I know myself. I know I ain't. I know what the Bible says about all of us. It says if we say that we're without sin, that we're lying, the truth's not in us. So therefore, that frees us up to say, to be honest with ourselves because we're not trying to fool anybody, and we sure can't fool God. Amen? But instead of reaching up to the lifeline provided by God in the means of Jesus Christ who bled and died on a cross, think about that. You know, we're all headed that way, but God has provided a lifeline. You know, he didn't just throw you out there and say, well, I hope they make it. You know, he said, I'm not going to give them a way of escape. You're going to have to figure it out on your own. That'd be scary, wouldn't it? That'd be scary if you was headed to hell and didn't have a clue how to get out and you had to live a sinless life. 
God told you, he said, the only way you're going to make it is if you live sinless. <laughs> How many of us would make it? I wouldn't make it five minutes from the declaration. But he bled and died on the cross. He was crucified and suffered the full wrath of God for the punishment of sin. Think about that. You know, everything that you have done, doing, and ever will do, you know, Jesus Christ took that punishment for you. Think about that. It's not a good feeling when you really soul search yourself and you think about it. You know, somebody innocent taking everything that was due me, took it upon himself willingly because he loves me. You know, how much love is that? You know, you think about your kids and you think, man, I'd do anything for them. I'd lay them down. I, you know, that's good. I would like to think everybody in here would do that. But what about for old boy down the street that, you know, like the Charles Mansons of the world, the Adolf Hitlers of the world, all the people that is, think of the vilest persons you could think. Would you lay your life down for them because you loved them? That's a tough question, ain't it? They would rather try to downplay what hell is and downplay the consequences of their actions and end up being deceived by Satan. Because if he can get us doubting hell's existence, then they will in return give into their sinful desires and lust of the flesh because they would rather feed into their natural sinful desires and live how they want because it's fun or it feels good. And they don't want to give up things in life. You know what we think? It's like that song, Trading. You know, you think you're giving up all these things that feel good and all these different things, and it may feel good to the flesh. But let me tell you what else feels better, spending time with Christ. You know, feeling the love of God. You know, think of the love that you experience with uh, those who are married, you know, when you feel the love from your spouse. You know, there's, there's no greater love than that and greater love from your children and your parents and all these different things. That don't even scratch the surface for the love of God in your life. I don't scratch the feeling, you know, when when you're in the bottom of a pit. And, you know, I've found myself there a few times in life to where, you know, you think there's no way out. And the only way that you can see that is out ain't the greatest choice. But, uh, you know, people people's words can't help you. I know I've been there, and, like, everybody and their mama's a, a, a psychologist and a uh, and not saying that we shouldn't reach out and try to help them, you know what I'm saying, because you do need those things. But at the end of the day, it's just words, and it don't really get in here to your spirit, man, because that's who's struggling in that time. You know, the flesh is just an outward representation of that. The spirit, man, is the one that's struggling in those times. And and human words just don't penetrate that deep. Uh, but it's even in those times when you're down in that pit and you're looking up and you're thinking there's no way out, always God shows up on time and he deals with the spirit man on the inside and you just get that calm and that peace just from experiencing him and then all those things seems to fade away but like I said I too once held that view so I can speak from experience you know I tried to downplay everything there was about it wash it off chalk it up to mythology try to chalk it up to everything under the under the sun because I didn't want to accept the consequences. I didn't want to admit my guilt. I didn't want to, con you know, to, to go that route. But all praises be to Almighty God who removed the scales from my eyes so that I could see the deception from the enemy. 
You know, if, if you're here this morning and you're saved, thank God and praise God, if nothing else, but for moving the scale so that you could see you was guilty and in need of someone. Because those who are turned over to their reprobate minds and all those things, you know, we can get to a point so caught up in our sin that God says he'll give them over to their reprobate minds and means that they're just going to live however they want. They're not going to see the truth lest he remove those scales from them. So think about people that you know this morning who needs that needs those scales removed from their eyes so that they can see and experience what we have, and that's eternal life in Jesus with Jesus one day. But let's, let, let's take a look at a description of what hell is like. You know, so we've, we've talked about the different views and the different things of what people portray it to be or not to be. But let's look at what Scripture says. We're going to look at an instance. In Luke chapter 16, we're going to start at verse 19. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. He said, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died. You know, think about that beggar's life up to this point. You know, he wasn't a rich man. He didn't have everything in the world. He, he was looked down on, I'm sure, you know, all these different things. And he was, wasn't living what we would call a, a very lavish lifestyle. Amen. But he died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But think about that statement right there. You know, in this world, Lazarus, look where Lazarus ended up. Amen. Look what he received on the earth. And then flip the script. What did the rich man receive on earth? And where did he end up? So it was a great twist in it. So those things that we receive, you know, Satan will also use those things to deceive us that we receive bad things and we I must not be right with God because all I experience is this. Let me tell you, sometimes when you're receiving all those bad things, it's because you are living right with God, that you are those. Not Every sense is because there is time where we're caught up in sin. That's where an evaluation is to take place amongst yourself. So don't get what I'm saying twisted. If you do an evaluation with yourself and you're doing all that you can to live for Christ and all these things and those things are coming, it's not. Satan wants to deceive you and say, "Say, see, he ain't yours. You're not his. You're not wrapped up because God or Satan will try to use this world. He is the ruler of this world, right? So he wants to do everything that he can to try to twist and make your life, so to speak, hell on earth to get your mind off the prize and all these different things, but just stay focused and stay moving. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who are rent to pass from here to you cannot, nor, though, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. 
Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. You know, Jesus used this experience of these two men to declare in plain terms the immortality of the soul. You know, there were several key words in there that he was saying. The consciousness of souls, he also talks about the consciousness of souls after leaving the body. So if hell is not real and they think that you just, if you're not a believer and when you die, it's just, you're just dead, right? You know, your soul does not move on. You're just not experiencing anything. That's not what the scriptures we just read had. He was very conscious in there, wouldn't he? The reality of different places for the righteous and the wicked between death and our bodily resurrection and the truth of torment for the wicked. Because in verse 22, Abraham's bosom was a, a, a phrase used among the Jews to signify paradise and was located in the lower parts of the earth. In 23, these two verses make it very plain that there are two uh, distinct differences in the places souls go after the body dies, proving there is no soul sleep or unconsciousness in the grave. You know, there's those that teach that when you die, your body remains unconscious or, you know, in a, a soul sleep state, so to speak, that, and you're there until uh, we get our resurrected bodies and stuff. But that's not what we just read. Verse 24, imagine coming to the realization that you are separated from God forever. Think about that. That's a scary thought, ain't it? Think of the remorse, the regret, the absolute hopelessness of escape from eternal misery or relief from the suffering. You know, that's what the rich man was experiencing, wasn't he? He was like, please just come down and dip your finger in something. Give me some relief. Give me something. You know, we talk about on Wednesday nights uh, of our class about, you know, we spent about six months in uh, Matthew chapter 9. <laughs> going by verse by verse through it but you know in a in that he was talking about the the when jesus made landfall with the uh, disciples and everything the the uh possessed man come running to him and the first words was you know the, the demon speaking through like please have mercy on us don't send us you know to the place of torment and, you know the demons were scared amen because they see in Jesus and in the flesh, you know, he, they know the power that he has. They know what can happen with him. So they're begging him, you know, please, you know, just let us go to the swine. And there's a whole other story. We ain't got time to go into all that. The fear is what I'm wanting to, to grab a hold of. They knew what was coming and, and it's going to come. So think about demons, for instance. Like humans, you can at least give a little grace in the aspect of is there a God, is there not a God, because we're flesh, he's spirit. We can't physically lay our eyes on him. So you can at least give a little grace to people that wonder that. I wondered it for a lot of years till God smacked me in the face like a road to Damascus experience like Paul did. So until we come into that concept, have grace. So you, the, the fear that the demons have, because they know, they see the spirit, they're in, they are spirit. So they see and know what's coming. So let, imagine that just, Joe, though, for a second. Imagine the fear that they have to be in constant torment before they even get to that place because you could imagine knowing that at any given second when God makes that declaration from heaven that it's over, they know where they're going. So they're like constantly over their shoulder chaos, 
you know, us, we need to have that same passion and desire and knowing because we as Christians especially, we know what's coming. But think about that. Verse 25 goes on to say, Sometimes in life it seems that the lost have it made. And this is hard for us to accept because in life it does feel, seem like that sometimes. That the lost have it made and experience more earthly blessing and things seem to always go their way and we seem to suffer and struggle in so many areas. Think about your own life. Do you know anybody like that? You know that sometimes you'd be a little jealous once you like, man, I know they don't go to church and believe in God, but they got everything, man. They got razors and boats and all these different things, and I'm trying the best I can do, and it's like, man, I just want a peanut butter sandwich. You know it feels like it sometimes. But Satan loves nothing more than to keep people so caught up in earthly things and keep them pacified to where they may feel they have no need for God or anything else because they already got it all. Satan isn't always as we perceive him to be, as a being that is all about nothing but torturing us when in reality he can deceive way more by appearing as an angel of light and trapping us by our own comfort. You know, if I'm trying to think about it, you know, Bible's clear what Satan is. You know, he's not this horned, crazy thing that's just going to torture you all the time. No, he wants to lower you with a carrot out in front of you, giving you everything that you desire in the flesh. That is how he traps you is by giving you everything and getting you comfort and thinking everything's fine when it's not. And in verse 28, he says, say, let this be a reminder of the importance it is for us while we're here on earth to spread the gospel and testify of the goodness of God, to turn them to the love of Christ and save them from the place of torment. Think of all the friends and family we know that are headed down the road to destruction that we once traveled, and now we know the exit to get off on. We should be doing everything in our power to guide them as well. Amen. You know, what did the rich man do in the story that we read about? He was begging and said, please send somebody to, to my house and, and warn them. This is real stuff. You know, uh, And on 29 through 31, it shows, this shows the power of the Word of God. It has the power to change lives and bring them to salvation. And if people won't hear or respond to it, then even one rising from the dead wouldn't be able to convince them. All the more reason for us to share the Word of God to the world. Amen. Because he, he said, you know, to me, you would think common sense would play, you know, and if I seen somebody come from the dead and they're warning me about the dead, that I would believe them. That's not what the story says. Like, if they, if they won't listen to the Word of God, they're not going to listen. That's how reprobate their mind is and so far this way that even seeing somebody return from the dead, dead wouldn't convince them because they're so caught up in their sin. But the power of the Word of God going forth does. So now we know hell is a real place bearing real consequences. Let's look at why it was created. Matthew 25 and verse 41. Then he would also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now that's, that's why hell was created, for the devil and his angels. You know, that's a pretty scary, scary existence too for the 
angels and demons that, you know, chose to rebel against God. You know, we have a Savior to look to. They don't. You know, think about that. What if God would have chose that with us? You know, that ought to make us move to love him even more that, you know, who are we? You know, we're special. We're different. We're loved by God to a degree that he took that for us. It was prepared for Satan and all the angels that joined him in his rebellion. It ain't like God created it and said, all right, I'm going to send you, you, and you. It was created for those, for the rebellion in, uh, in, that took place amongst the angels. And when man fell in the garden and entered into sin and rebellion as well, then we fell into the same place of judgment with them. All men are born into sin and have a natural sin desire to rebel against God. You know, say from very young ages, you know, you, you can start seeing it in your kids and things. Uh, there's just that natural desire is what I'm saying. You know, it's just naturally gravitated to do what's wrong. You can smack their hand 700,000 times, and it's not, it's not good. You're going to get burned. You Whatever. You're going to do it till they get burned. Then, oh, should have listened. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's what saying is, if you're a human being, walking the face of this earth, you have sinned and fell short of the glory of God and are on that path that we talked about. It's because of this sin and rebellion against God that we were all guilty before God and due to receive His wrath. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So that's what's due us. No man will ever be able to claim ignorance in any area of life to escape his judgment. Think about that. You can't claim, well, I didn't know. Romans one twenty. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So there is no excuse. You know, that's one of the first things that really grasped my attention to accepting that there was a God is by his creation. And there's a, I don't remember the tape I was watching years and years ago. The younger ones in here, I don't even know if y'all know what VHS tapes are, but back in the day, <laughs> I had one of them that somebody had given, and we was, I was watching, this is long before I was a believer. I was the biggest skeptic there was, you know, and I was watching that tape because it just because it was on. Just, and the guy was a, a Christian scientist, and he just was laying out these different arguments of trying to prove, you know, to, that there was a God. And the more he talked, the more it caught on to me and got me thinking and got me thinking. And it was like, man, if you think about the human body, if you think that we came to how we are from a speck of something that just crawled out of this whatever and evolved into all this creation around you, man. It take you would have to be foolish. Now that I'm looking, I'm like, man, I had to be crazy to even give entertainment to something like that. That everything coming to as perfect harmony as it is from that. But he was thinking about he was talking about think about uh just your body alone. How complex it is when you start breaking down like the digestive system, the brain just start thinking about how the brain is wired and triggers and moves and controls everything and 
just how many miles and miles of veins and how everything works in perfect harmony to create you to the perfect being that you are. And then multiply that times every animal. And then it don't stop at that. It stops at plants and trees. You know, how something can come from a little seed and then it grow to those these huge trees and produce fruits and those fruits produce fruits and just and it just goes on and on and on and on and on and the the uh, the perfect harmony between the planets and all these different things that if this planet was just so much closer to this and would be completely burnt up or if it was completely this way you know everything we would it would be a ball of ice and all these different things so if all that perfect harmony came from just something that came out of nowhere from a big bang and everything come to perfect to the perfect things that it is, it's, it's foolish. The world will tell you that as long as you're a good person that everything is fine. I've heard that a lot. Being a good person doesn't get you into heaven. Not one person that's ever walked this earth or ever will walk this earth except Jesus Christ was ever good enough. Jesus is the only one to ever live the sinless life. Hebrews 4.15 we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So that's what it took to get God, to please God, to appease Him. God cannot be a righteous and just God if He doesn't punish the sins committed against Him. The penalty for sin is death. We know that God didn't spare the angels when they sinned, and He will not spare humans either. Now all that has been discussed, let's look at what can be done about it. While the angels and us both do punishment and hell because of sin, we are given grace and mercy and an escape plan due to the sinless life that Jesus lived that we talked about earlier. Praise God that he shows grace to us by not punishing us all immediately, but shows us grace and delays his wrath to give his creation time and a chance to ask forgiveness for its sin and repent and turn to Christ for salvation. So that we may be reconciled back to our Creator and spend eternity with Him in heaven one day. Romans 5, I'm going to start at verse 6. He said, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us, that in while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That's the picture of salvation. We will all stand before God for judgment one day. Revelations 20, 11 through 15. He says, Then I saw a great white throne in him who sat on it, from, those, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. The death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It's a pretty grim picture for 
if your name ain't in that book. Unbelievers will be judged according to the deeds done in the flesh, and since they rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior, they will be found guilty of their sin and receive God's wrath and fury. Everyone, Every wrong deed will be remembered and taken account of in this punishment because Scripture tells us that men will give account for every careless word they utter, every deed done, every secret thing, whether good or evil. On that day, the secrets of people's hearts will be revealed and made public. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Pretty scary and grim day to think about, ain't it? Believers will be judged as well. But those who have made Jesus Lord of the lives, we're going to have a whole different type of judgment. First and foremost, the biggest difference will be that we will be found not guilty. When you stand before a judge for a speeding ticket or anything, this is a small paraphrase or a illustration of it but think about it when you go before them and you stand before them they're going to declare guilty or not guilty before you and you're going to either pay the fine or not pay the fine or whatever it's similar to that but when we stand ours is going to be uh not guilty because the punishment due us for our sins has already been paid for amen that's the reason to rejoice and thank god this morning it's paid for by Christ when he hung on the cross and took the full wrath of God for the sins of all who would come to him and accept him as Lord and Savior. So when he shed his blood, that blood was for us and his death was for us in that he took our guilty verdict and took the punishment and stood in our place so that we may go free and live forever with him in paradise. Think about that. We were due the full wrath of God, but Jesus said, no, I love them. I want to take it. I want to give them the opportunity to come to heaven. That's how much he loves us. That's a debt that can never be repaid. You know, I can never pay Jesus enough to pay that off. It's impossible. That's the reason we should live a life that honors God. We put an innocent man on a cross to be crucified, and he done it willingly because of his love for us, because he knew that was the only way, and that he's the only man that could ever be redeemed that was the only way that we could be redeemed is by that act that's the reason that should fuel us to go out and preach to the lost and try to reach our friends and our family members so that they may come to know and experience the love of god that is nothing like in your heart or your mind can fathom and if you talk to the lost and you try to explain to them the love of god it's foolishness to them but when they <laughs> when you experience it yourself you see exactly what it is. That's why I say I'm not trying to scare you out of hell, but I'm rather trying to love you into heaven. You know, I don't want you to think that I'm trying to pull some scare tactic. I'm trying to do none of these things, but if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But that's not the intent behind it. It's because I'm not worried about uh, scaring or you know scaring you out of hell. I want you to experience the love of God now and through eternity with Him. So I want to love you into heaven. If there's salvation for me, then there's salvation for anyone. Amen? <laughs> You've not done too much. You know, I've heard that a lot. Well, you get to talking to somebody, man, I've done too much. I can, man, get out of here with that. You ain't never done too much that God can't do you. I'm telling you. This church here, talking about God's church is pretty strong. You know, this building especially, you know, when he brings in, because I can look around, I know some of you. I ain't going to call none of you out. And, uh. We can say, you know, I always heard, man, if I ever walk into church, the building's going to fall down. Well, this one's built good is all I'm going to say. <laughs> You've not strayed too far. 
That's the life of an enemy. If, he, if you think he's strayed too far, it's the life of an enemy. What he's done for me, he can do for you. There is nowhere you can go that God's outreached hand can't reach you. I'm going to close in this. And looking at the judgment of believers on that day is to help us see that we shouldn't fear that day. If you're a believer, you know, I know a lot of believers who still scared to death of judgment day. <laughs> you're going to live your life in a fear that's fears from the enemy. If you're a child of God, you shouldn't fear the day of judgment. You shouldn't fear it. It's important to realize that our judgment is to evaluate and give various degrees of reward, but the fact that we will face such a judgment should never cause us to fear that we could possibly be eternally condemned. Amen. We're still going to give an account. We're still going to do all these things, but it's more of a reward type thing than punishment because punishment, our punishment, we got to get this in our spirit. Our punishment was already paid on the cross. You got to understand the full comprehension of what happened on that cross your guilty verdict jesus took it that day on the cross and when you make jesus lord of your life you're not guilty you're not going to have to fear punishment of hell if you've already made jesus lord of your life if you've truly done it not just some lip service john 5 24 most assuredly i say to you he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Let that be, let that be comfort to you this morning. If you made Jesus Lord of your life and you fear everything, every turn that you make, that's the enemy trying to get you off your path. You know, if, if you can get past all those things and just focus on the love of God and your freedom in Christ and all the things that the Bible talks about is for us believers. Think of the work that we can do to the lost. Think of the work that we can do in the world. You can't do them things if you're so condemned in yourself and so beat down in yourself, you're not going to go out and be able to spread the gospel because you're going to be like, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. We ain't worthy, but God made us worthy, and we're all these things we can go out without fear of it. At the day of final judgment, more than at any other time, it is of utmost importance that this phrase that we hear all the time, I've heard it here a lot at this church and other churches, it said a lot, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So on the day of judgment, that is no more true ringing from the mountaintops. Amen? So the day of judgment can be portrayed as in one in which believers are rewarded and unbelievers punished. When we truly understand this, it should be all the more reason to glorify God in our lives and praise Him all our days because of His plan of salvation, which Jesus paid for our sin and took our punishment so that we have eternal life in heaven forever. You know, we, the Scripture talks about where He's going to, on that day, He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And I ain't talking about the sheep of the government where you're a sheep if you follow this craziness from the Washington. I mean, we won't get in on all that. But he talks about, you know, the sheep being God's flock. You know, those who uh, who are his and who are his sheep know, they say, they know my voice. They follow my voice. That's the sheep. The goats uh, is the other ones. So we've had this time on us to evaluate ourselves because we have great responsibility. Or we evaluate ourselves. 
because we have a great responsibility. We're going to end with a movie quote. We started with one, we're going to end with one. With great power comes great responsibility. Anybody know where that's at? You better. Because your grandson is Peter Parker. (laughs) But us, our children, and our family and loved ones to lead them. You know, that's a great responsibility. You know, it's not to get ourselves taken care of first, then we have a great responsibility to uh, go out and share what we have, that peace and that freedom and that salvation that we have. We don't want our loved ones and our family to go that way, so it's our responsibility to go out. How are they going to hear if they're not told? You know, that's what Scripture is very clear on. You know, it's up to us. Two, if we want change in the world, it starts in right here. And if we got this room, however many people's in here, if all of us are pointing at ourselves, that's where change starts. If all of us can change here, think of the impact we can have out there. It starts in our households first. Like Pat said, you know, men, I'm going to call out the men first. We're called to be the spiritual leaders in our houses. Are we doing that? Are we doing what God has called us to do in our house to lead our wives if you're married or our children, all these different things? Are we doing that? Women, I ain't getting, y'all ain't getting off the hook either. Because <laughs> if your man ain't doing the job, guess who's next in line? Pray for him. Don't beat him over the head and drag him all that. Pray for him. Love him. Lead. You know, the world's in the shape that it is now. On going to the positive, I mean, because of a lot of praying women. Because men, that's why the condition of the world on the negative side is the way it is, because there ain't enough praying men, amen? So the women have to step in. They're praying. A prayerful woman can do a lot. And then carrying that to our neighbors. So if we can take care of our own household first, we go out and we carry it to our neighbors Get that in them. They go to their neighbors to get them. Do you see where I'm going? Now we can take this community back. As a community, each community does that. You can take your state back. Get enough states together, you can take your nation back. You get the nation back, we can see change in the world. So it's ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. Amen. Cole, if you want to start some music. Uh, I want us to really soak all this in this morning. Like I said, I ain't trying to scare you. I'm just trying to love on you, that, uh, you know, to evaluate yourself. You know, the altar's open. If you can't honestly say to yourself this morning that I know 